0: We are in Exodus uh, chapter 13. I I was thinking of this and calling it, uh, Not Out of the Woods. And so God has miraculously performed his signs and wonders, and he has set the people on course. They have plundered Egypt, and they are now walking out of Egypt on their way to liberation and freedom and deliverance. And God decides, I'm not going to take them the short way. I'm going to take them the detoured way. And we get these um, commands and rules about how are we going to to, um, celebrate the Passover and, and how are we going to tell the next generations about that. And so, as the first piece I want to draw your attention to in this passage is Exodus 13, verse 8. And it says, Explain to your child, it's because of what the Lord did for me... When I came out of Egypt. Again, in 13, verse 14, When in the future your child asks, the Lord brought us with great power out of Egypt, out of the place where we are slaves. What's so interesting is that in this story, as God is telling them in the future, for generations and generations to come, when you tell the story, you tell it this way. This is what the Lord did for me. When I came out of Egypt. Well, you didn't come out of Egypt. You've been living in the promised land for 25 years, right? No, when every year when Passover comes around, this is what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This is when the Lord brought us out of Egypt with great power. We hear in the text this ongoing personal story of God's rescue. And the formation of a practice that will include the next generation so that they learn to experience God's saving, liberating, delivering work for themselves in their life for generation to generation. And so the question that comes to my mind is what do we or what do you do to tell your friends and your family and your coworkers and other people that you might be in school with the ways that God has worked in your life? So you can look back and you say, this is how God brought me out of this into this. This is where I've seen God working in my life. You see, the story of Exodus is a personal story for each generation. It doesn't go back and you say, well, you know, you, uh, six generations ago, my family left from this place and we've been going to church ever since, right? It's like, no. What is this personal story of Exodus? How does that shape you? How does it become your story of deliverance and Exodus? And so over and over again, we hear this. The Christian story is the same as the Exodus story because it is only when each new generation can speak and say, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of sin and death and slavery, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And the, the Christian faith doesn't get to be passed from generation to generation to generation and it just kind of becomes a practice that we do. It has to be renewed with each generation. Each generation has to experience the liberating, saving, delivering work of Jesus in their own life. And they have to be able to speak of how they came from sin and death and slavery into the life of Jesus. And each generation has to speak that for themselves. It's a personal story. And maybe it's just because we lived in southern Manitoba for a while um, some Christians don't catch that (laughs) they think that church is just the thing that you do on Sunday it becomes cultural it becomes legalistic it becomes the thing you do just as Passover can become the thing we do every month once a year we break we eat some lamb and we eat some bitter herbs and we tell a story but it's powerful when it becomes our story when I tell the story is this is what God did me. Nikki and I are um, doing, a, we're trying something new in our marriage where we, we're doing devotions together in the evening. It's only 17 years. Uh, we're trying it. Um, so we're reading this book right now together called The Unvarnished Jesus by Brian Zond. It's a, a Lenten journey, 40-day devotional. And um, he, he, I, I just wanted to share this piece uh, that where he, he's talking um, we read this last night, and so it, it just it struck me. He says, as a as a pastoral someone who's been in pastoral ministry, every day I pray this prayer. God help me and help God help me to help make Christianity possible for my grandchildren and their generation. And then he says, as passé as it may sound to cynical ears, if we want faith in Jesus to remain realistically possible in a secular age one of the most valuable things we can do is bring children to church. We need to raise children in the community that is formed and sustained by the grand narrative of Scripture, a story that culminates in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In an irreligious culture where not much is sacred, we need to introduce children to the sacred place where sacrament is formative and faith is normative. Christian faith cannot long be sustained As a private opinion held by a lone individual christianity is not a solo project and even though you may stubbornly maintain some kind of faith in jesus without belonging to a church your children probably will not and your grandchildren most certainly will not one of the essential tasks of the church is to pass on the faith from one generation to another and without the church this is nearly impossible if you're interested in your children and your grandchildren sharing our faith, we need the church. I'm thankful for this church. We don't have kids' programs. We don't have much for our kids to be involved in. And yet, I'm thankful for a church in which faith is normative, in which we practice the sacraments, we read scripture, and we bring them here. I'm thankful for a church that has adults that care about my kids. Thank you to all of you who talk to them, who give them the high fives, who welcome them, because you're part of passing on the the faith to the next generation, where they can look to you and they can see you believe. You live it. You are transformed by Jesus. This isn't just something that my parents are telling me about or something else. This is actually real. Uh, I, I've told this story a few times, and I know some of you were hoping to come and couldn't. But when we a few weeks ago, when we went swimming at the pool, I said, "Like we're just going to the pool. Whoever wants to come, come." And Greg and Ashlyn showed up, and Greg taught my kids how to play slap with waterproof deck of cards in the hot tub, and we played together. That's spiritual, because what's happening is relationships are being built outside of these walls with other adults of faith so that the story can be passed on. And so that Greg and Ashlyn can say, this is what God did for me when he brought me from here to here. And then our children hear that story from other people that they love and they care about, and we're passing on our faith to the next generation. We're making Christianity realistic and possible in a world that doesn't have faith. It's one of the most powerful things about gathering like this each week. You can sustain a faith, perhaps, on your own for a while. But you can't pass on your faith to the next generation without a church. The story continues, and it's interesting. Exodus 13, 17 to 22. I want us to just think about this for a minute as well. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though that was the shorter route. God thought if the people have to fight and face war, they will run back to Egypt. So God led the people by a roundabout way of the Reed Sea Desert. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt ready for battle, and Moses took with him, Joseph's bones, we'll skip a bunch, down to 21. The Lord went in front of them during the day in a column of cloud and guiding them at night in a column of lightning or fire to give them light. This way they could travel during the day and the night, and the column of cloud during the day and the column of fire at night never left its place in front of the people. It's interesting, I think, that given the signs and wonders, the great saving power that God has shown, God is still concerned that if they face conflict early, they're going to want to flee back to slavery. Isn't that it, right? It's like you just saw God save you and liberate you. You've seen these signs and wonders and how strong God is. And God is like, yeah, but if they get too much right now, they're going to want to return. And so God doesn't take them the shortest, most direct route, but leads them away from conflict, leads them away from something they aren't ready for. And I wonder what that indirect path might say to us about our own salvation story and the way that God leads us. You know how often we just want God to give us a clear leading, a clear direction, like just, like, get me from here to here, God, this is where I want to be, and yet it feels like sometimes God's leading is so unclear, and instead God's taking us on along circuitous route, circles, it feels like God's leading me in circles sometimes. Maybe there aren't quick paths to the places that God wants to take us. 21 to 22, this cloud of fire are God's revealed presence, the nearness of God. These are images that are seen in the covenant with Abraham when God promises to to be in relationship with them and he he leads them through. Um, There's a a, a pot of smoke and fire that, that walk through these split carcasses as God makes a covenant with Abraham. There's the image of fire in the burning bush with Moses. The the cloud will continue to play a a significant role in the story of the people's exodus as we keep reading. So there's there's this nearness that we read of God's presence, a a visible, tangible presence of God leading the people. And I sometimes think, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if God would just appear to me like a, a little fire to to lead me exactly where I need to go. If God would speak to me in a word that was so clear and so precise that I knew exactly what I was supposed to do next, that tomorrow when I woke up, God would be like, just follow my little fire and I'll lead you to everything that I want you to do this day. (laughs) What would it be like to have that visible presence leading you and guiding you? Well, here's what it doesn't do. It didn't take away the fears of the Israelites. They were still afraid. That visible, near presence of God didn't take away their complaining. They still complained and worried and complained. It didn't take away their need to trust God. And they continue to struggle with their trust of God's presence. So even with the visible, near presence of God, they still fear, they still complain, and they still doubt. Isn't that interesting? It did take them where it needed to go. It did reveal God's faithful presence with them, but it doesn't make everything better. So Nikki and I spent some time in in Mexico now a number of years ago. And at that time, it felt so right. We, We couldn't believe the things that God was doing to, to align things, to provide the financial resources to go, to provide for our, our house. It, it just seemed like there was so much happening that it felt like God was leading us there. And it, it seemed like it was going to be this amazing like God taking us to Mexico. And we went, God, yeah, we're open hands. like We're, we're in this. Whatever you want to do in our life, we're, we're ready. And let's go. And we look back now and I'm like, man, I can. Not believe we went down with our kids that age. Like how old was Levi? How old were our kids when we what? Yeah, seven and under. And we took four kids to Mexico. Almost lost a couple in the pool, so we only came back really, really the fact that we came back with all four is a miracle in itself. Um Mexico was really hard. It was really stressful. It took a large physical toll, particularly on on Nikki's body. Uh, When we came back, I think it was a year and a half or two years before we actually started realizing we had capacity to do more than survive. We lived in survival mode in Mexico for a year. And it was one of those things I remember a couple years later being like, hey, we could put our kids in Kids Club. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We look back and we, we mourn and are so sad about the loss of our acreage, our friends, the people that were close to us and watch us. That's been one of the hardest things about living in the city. We're thankful for new friends and new places, a good home. But we mourn still, three and a half years later, the home that we had. We look back and we thought, man, I I, I guess what I'm saying is I I get the Israelite thing now, where it's like, you know, maybe Egypt wasn't so bad. Sure, there were things back in in our previous church and, and things that were hard and difficult, but, oh, There's some good stuff, too. <laughs> it feels sometimes like we're experiencing God's leading, and then we get to the other side, and at least in my experience, it just feels like, well, why did we do that? I don't understand. It was a good experience, I guess. We have some good memories. We have some Mexican friends. We know a little Spanish. I have an addiction to tackies. We're thankful for that experience and yet at the same time it's like, I thought, God, you were leading us to something big. And now we're left sad. Now we're left stressed. It's interesting how we we always want God to be leading us and we think like, how I, and so I, I'm, I'm wrestling a little bit in my own heart about what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? How do we know that we're following God and not our own desires or our own things? It becomes very important that we understand it. And I, I think Nikki and I would both say, I'll watch her here, that, that we do believe God led us there. I, I do think, and, and part of that is that it led us here. And we believe that, this is currently where we're supposed to be as well. Again, kind of hard sometimes. (laughs) Where will God lead us next? As I look forward, there are things in my life that I don't know where they're leading. I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in my life, leading me places, but I don't know, and it's become scary it is not the known and secure thing that we're in now. And so what does this go? Where will it lead? And the column of God's presence doesn't stand still. This is what I find interesting. Is that even though they're there, this column of God doesn't stand still, but it continually beckons the people forward. And yes, they're taking a route that doesn't make sense. It's not the short way out. God's leading them somewhere else. And each day they get up and the column of fire and the column of cloud moves forward and says, keep going. Keep following. me." So how does this work today? Because lots of people, myself included, talk about God's leading and calling. But without a big fire to lead us, how do we know what we're following after? What should we be doing? And so John chapter 8 to me becomes a very important John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus spoke to the people again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of of light. The pillar of fire in the Old Testament, but Jesus is our column of light. The light who keeps us from stumbling in the dark and helps us travel into the dark and the unknown. Jesus says, come and follow me. I am your light in a dark world. Five times in the Gospel of John, he calls himself light. Five times Jesus reminds us that he is the pillar of light and that we are to follow him. And so my encouragement to you, if you are feeling like you are lost, I understand. I've been there too, often. Still there sometimes. If you feel like you're walking in the darkness, the invitation to us is not to look for the little fire pot of fire that's going to lead you around each day and, and show you exactly where to go. Our column of light is Jesus. And we're called to focus on Jesus. To focus on Jesus, the light of liberating life. To focus on Jesus and not to choose death, but to choose life. We are invited to choose life over depression. Or Yeah, we are choose, we're invited... Oh no, this is what I was going to say. Don't choose, as you are following Jesus, don't choose death over life. Don't choose depression over healing. Don't choose prison over freedom. The light of Jesus brings light burdens. It brings freedom from our shame and our sin and our fear and our captivity. It leads to love and peace and joy and wholeness and compassion and goodness and truth and mercy and forgiveness and light. So focus on Jesus, the one who is joy, the one whose burden is light and easy to carry, the one who frees you from shame, the one who invites you into goodness and truth. And when you are following in the way of Jesus, when you focus on Him, I believe that it will lead us where we need to go. For Jesus is our light, and He is our calm, a fire in the dark. Amen.